All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 2. Good to be in church on a Wednesday. Amen. It means half your week is, is already done. <laughs> now we left off on verse number 13, a great, great verse in the Bible and explains so much and explains uh, much more than uh, modern day scholarship will ever, ever care to believe. But before we get in, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just the good old hymns of the faith. Lord, there's nothing better than these hymns. Father, thank you, Lord, for the testimony. Lord, thank you for the songs. Lord, thank you, Lord, for the joy that you put in our hearts. And Lord, thank you, Lord, that we can rekindle that and get refilled on joy tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes. Lord, would you show us something from the Word of God, Lord, to help us not only believe that book more, but, Lord, the desire for you to come back and get us out of here. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in verse uh, number 13, we left off. The Bible says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. So you notice when we talk about the word of God, that's what Paul was preaching. That's a small W. I'm going to show you the contrast real quick. Look at John chapter 1. All right, now uh, fundamental Christianity has got this thing all messed up, and uh, I think most of you understand it. But uh, Paul, the Thessalonians, Paul's not talking about the fundamentals of the faith. He's not talking about some message or some... Uh, Christian principle, he's talking about the things that Paul preached were the very words of God. And uh, look at this, John chapter 1, verse 1. All right, the Bible says, in the beginning was the... But notice that word, it's what? It's capital. So that's the person of Jesus Christ. And he's called the word. That's a person. All right, now 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at verse 13 again. Because when you receive the small w, the word, that's what he's preaching. That's the book that's in your lap. You see that? He said, when you receive the word of God, not a person, which you heard of us, you received it not as a word of men, but as it is in truth, the word, small w of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now hold that spot. I'll show you in one more verse. Psalm chapter 138. So, now, so there's a difference. Uh, there's the person of Jesus Christ, which is a capital W. And then you have the small W, which is the words of God. And what you have in your lap, if you have a King James Bible, is the pure words of the living God. And you don't have the capital W in your lap, okay? Psalm 138, verse 2. That verse is on our sign out front. Now you notice the distinction. He says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy small w above all thy name. All right, so there's a difference. That small w, that's the very words of God. And they say over there in 13, Paul says, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. It wasn't just a message. It wasn't the fundamentals. It wasn't teaching. It wasn't Christian principles. It wasn't none of that. They received it as the word of God. All right? He says, uh, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So this is the only book you'll ever read 
that depending how what you're going to get out of it is what your attitude is when you go to the book. Does that make sense or did I just word vomit? If you've got a negative attitude about the Word of God when you go to it, you'll not get what you need. If you have the right attitude about the Word of God when you go to it, that book says right there that the Word of God will effectually work in you that believe. And that is the key to your Christian life and ascertaining things from the book. You have to believe it. And if you don't believe it, it doesn't work. That's a Christian life right there. If you go to the uh, Word of God and you want to find a justification to sin, you'll find it. If you want to tip, tip one back every third week with your friends, you know where the devil will let you go. The devil's in this book more than the average Bible believer is. I'm not being a jerk. I'm being honest with you. That devil will let you find the verses where Jesus turned the water into wine. He'll convince you that Jesus drank wine where it never says he drank wine. You see what I mean? Why? Attitude's not right. If you want to find a reason uh, to, uh, to, be, to do whatever it is, the, 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 the devil, not only the devil, but the Lord will let you find a reason and a verse to hang yourself spiritually. And But uh, these people, these Thessalonians, it was a spiritual church. It was a godly church. And when Paul and company came and preached to them, they received it as the word of God. And he says, which effectually worketh also in you. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> the Bible says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. I want you to notice here in verse 14, the Bible says, you became followers of the churches of God. In that interesting phrase, followers of the churches of God. Now you remember, uh, and if not, to just give you a little reminder, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Remember that, Matthew 16, 18? <clears throat> so what we're saying here is things in the life of a Christian should be centered around the local church. I'll say it again. Things in the life of a Christian should be local church oriented. I, ha I, was, I'm, I'm, I stand before you a blessed man. You say, why? Uh, because you're a preacher? No, <laughs> not at all. I'm blessed because I was raised that when the doors of the church were open, I was raised to be in the church. Amen. Uh, you say, well, what if you're not? Okay, there's exceptions to every rule, but they don't prove the rule. So uh, you see here that interesting phrase, and uh, it says, you became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. And in your Christian life, things should be local church-oriented. Let me give you the contrast of that thing. You've got organizations like the YMCA. You've got organizations like the Salvation Army. Of course, the Salvation Army had a great beginning under General William Booth, right? And he won many, many souls for Jesus Christ. But what it is, it's not local church oriented. You got the group that, uh, that uh, erupted out of 1991 or two or around three, the Promise Keepers. They're not local church oriented. And uh, how about this? The General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, which this building used to be a part of, that we got out of, it is not local church oriented. You say, so what? So, if it's not local church oriented, eventually, sooner or later, that thing was destined to fall apart and go off the rails. 
All those groups that I mentioned are what they consider themselves. They call themselves para-church. Isn't that an interesting name? Para-church. I'm thinking parachute. You forgot to open yours. About 3,000 feet. Amen. And they exist outside any parameter of any local church. I want you to think about that. A parachurch group exists outside the parameters of any local church. What does that mean? It simply means that a parachurch group is not accountable at all to any local church. And you've got to realize as a Christian that the blessings of God is not just on the spiritual body, but the blessings of God are upon the local church body itself. And here's a good rule that you can think of and uh, uh, put down in the recesses of your mind. If a group considers themselves to be parachurch, then they are nothing but parasitical. That means they feed off of church members while refusing to come under the authority of the local church. Uh, anyone that comes in here and candidates to be a missionary, uh, if they're not local church, see ya. Why? The Lord doesn't want you to be a free bird. Leonard Skinner might, but not the Lord, right? Uh, the Christian isn't supposed to be a free bird. The Christian's supposed to be under somebody, just like the wife is supposed to be under the husband. We doing all right tonight? This is so old-fashioned. You feel like you, you know you feel like a geek and a nerd to even preach the truth anymore. This is society you live in is pathetic. Uh, you say there's you know there's man and there's woman. No, you're a, you're a hater. No, I'm just biblical, <laughs> right? And the woman's supposed to be under the man. The man's supposed to be under Jesus Christ. And then when the local church is supposed to be under a is supposed to be under a pastor, a God called pastor. Amen. You say, well, uh, you're touting a pastoral authority. Not at all. I run from most of that stuff. Y'all are blessed. Cut it out. I can I can I can aim you at about a dozen preachers right now. They'll 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 pin your tail right to the wall on stuff. Not me. I say you got the Holy Spirit. If he can't tell you what to do, what am I going to tell you? I can tell you what car to buy. I'm not going to tell you what church to go to or where to send your kid to school or should I send him to school. Well, that's your job as a parent. My job is strictly spiritual. About 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, the job of a preacher is to feed the flock of God which is among you, period. <laughs> you take the oversight. <clears throat> and the parachurch outfit is parasitical. They feed off local church members but refuse to come under the authority of any local church. There was a fellow tried to get me involved with the camp. He says, oh, brother. He said, this is such a great camp over here, and you need, to, you, need to, you, need to, you need to get in with us and get into this youth camp. And I'm looking at youth camps. This is back in, I think it was 15 or so, or maybe 14. Anyways, whatever. So I call this group up, and I won't mention their names because I know a lot of a good brethren. They send their uh, church kids there. Not me, man. And I, and I talk to this gal. I'm like, hey, you know, who's, you know, who's, who's the head, whoever, whatever, and and she's like, oh, that's me. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, no, okay, tell me about your camp. And she goes off in this long. She was very polite, very kind, very wonderful person to talk to. I said, what local church are you a part of? What local church are you affiliated with? For example, we have the Lower Lights Broadcast, a ministry of Bible Believers Baptist Church of Tower City. That's a radio ministry that operates under the guidance of the local church. So when I asked her that, she goes, oh, you got us mistaken. We're parachurch. I said, what does that even mean? I'm being honest. I'm not being a smart aleck. I find that hard to believe. I said, what does that mean? She goes, oh, it's just a bunch of pastors, and we're just a group. And I'm like, okay, so who, who holds you accountable to, to anything at all? You know what she said? 
oh, we all just kind of call the shots. You can't have a group like that. You want the blessing of God, you got to get under the local church. You say, well, I don't believe this local church. Well, find one you can get underneath. And I'm not saying that to anyone here. I'm just saying, look, if, if this isn't the right place, you need to find a place that you can get under and submit under the authority of the local church to get the blessing of God. And you see in verse 14, the Thessalonians, the spiritual church, the church that Paul commends, they followed the church. And uh, you need to realize and remember that the Lord has put his blessing on the church. Again, that's not just the spiritual body but rather the local church as well. So that local church should take priority in the life of every believer. And if it doesn't, you might not have been taught the right way, but stop and think about it. As you learn it, the Holy Spirit will have you make the adjustments that are necessary. Amen? Paul also says in verse 14, For ye also have suffered. So you got two things. you got the importance of the local church, and you got a group of Christians that are trying to win souls, that are trying to please the Lord, that are trying to serve Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for ye also have suffered. And these Thessalonian brethren, you know what they did? <laughs> they were suffering. And they were, they were the, the Thessalonian brethren suffered of the Gentile brethren, just like Paul and them suffered from the Jewish brethren. Isn't that an interesting thing? You got a church in Thessal uh, the Thessal Thessalonians, or Thessalonians, however you say that thing with the ions on it there. And they're trying to do right, and you know what's happened? They're getting hammered. Paul's preaching the gospel all around the region. You know what he's doing? He's getting hammered. Jesus Christ came for three and a half years. What did they do? They killed him. You see the pattern? Good morning. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10, look at Matthew 10, verse 36. As my one friend says, uh, cheer up, it'll get worse. <laughs> you know, and that's the key to sanity, is understanding that it will get worse. Didn't Paul say in the last days perilous times should come? You believe we're closer to getting out of here than we were, you know, 100 years ago? As a preacher, that's dumb, I understand, but the perilous times are here. The last days are here. It could get longer, and if it does, it's just going to get what? Worse. Uh, matter of fact, when it comes to Bible teachers and false preachers and so forth, they wax worse and worse, the Bible says. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 36. An important principle that Jesus Christ himself taught and Paul lived, and you'll see this as we run a few references. The Bible says, and a man's foes shall be they from Walmart. Some days, right? Shall they be of his own household? And that's what you got to grab a hold of. And when Paul spoke those words back in 1 Thessalonians 2.14 to the Thessalonians, he spoke that to be a comfort for them for the gospel's sake. You say, why? The Thessalonians, the spiritual church, the church that loved God, they were suffering at the hands of their own countrymen. And they're getting it in the neck by, their own, by the Thessalonians themselves. And that thing is a difficult thing to grasp a hold of. You realize as a rule of thumb, you will have more trouble with the Christian brethren in your Christian life than you will lost people. And if you don't believe that, your head's in the cloud somewhere and you have zero experience and you never leave your house. You realize that the, I'll go ahead and say it, the middle fingers I've gotten on the street were not from the Catholics. They're from Bible believers. And the curse words in town, they're not from lost people primarily. They're from the brethren. They're from your own household. You say, what did I get myself into? It's called the Christian life. Cheer up. I'll let you fill in the blank. 
And a lot of times, if you're a preacher or a pastor or a missionary, and you're going to suffer at the hands of your own congregation as well. That's the rule of thumb. You'll get more problems from other Christian believers than you would from people in the world that are unsaved. And that's how the thing goes. And you have to prepare yourself for that. And uh, I've had people in the congregation here tell me that I was the greatest thing in the world when it comes to preaching since sliced bread. Of course, I didn't believe them because I'm not the greatest thing in the world since sliced bread. Amen. Why? I don't believe all my good press. And you shouldn't believe all your good press either. Why? You're never as good as you think you are. But I'll tell you what, you're never as bad as people tell you are either. <laughs> you say, where are you at? You're somewhere in the middle. Stop believing all your good press. You'll, you'll do better. Your, your blood pressure will be a little bit lower. But uh, you're going to get more problems from other Christian believers than you will from people that are unsaved in the world. And that's how it goes. But the same people that uh, would say, oh, preacher, I really like your preaching. And I'm not just saying this. I don't have a complex. I've been in the ministry now eight years. I've seen a thing or two. I ain't been in the ministry 40 years or 50 years or 20 years. But I've been a pastor for eight years, and I've seen a few things. And the same people that will butter your bread, however it's sliced, they get mad and leave. Why, sure they do. And uh, unfortunately, that's how things go. You say, why is it unfortunate? what happened to Jesus Christ. That's what happened to Paul. That's what happened to Stephen. And that's what's happening in verse 14 with the Thessalonians. I give you all that stuff, all that contrast, all that similarity to show you it's going to happen to you if you live right. Uh, the problem you have now with our generation that we are raising now several generations is that you have several generations of preachers, Christians, and church members who are so thin-skinned and so weak-kneed biblically that they can no longer take any persecution whatsoever. You know what the old preacher used to say? He'd say, man, you ought to be able to take it on the chin for the Lord every now and then. You know what Christians won't do in 2022? They won't take one on the chin. You go ahead and lambaste them on the chin, <laughs> and they'll be calling Lee free. That's what we've raised. You say, are you insinuating that we ought to go? No, I'm not saying test those limits of how much you can take, but man, you ought to be able to take something for the Lord, shouldn't you? Christian, get in your face and cuss you out. You're going to lose your salvation over it? Just stand there and take it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's real good. Verse 15. Now look at this. Verse 15 says, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men. Uh, now look, I realize the Romans are the ones that physically crucified Jesus Christ. Amen. It was the Romans that killed the Lord. Uh, but uh, the Jews are held responsible for the Lord's death. Look at Acts chapter 2. Do you realize you could not physically do something? The Lord still holds you responsible for it. Remember that I was reading over there about uh, Amnon had a friend, uh, the subtly, what's, what was his name? Jonadab. And old Amnon went in and raped his sister Tamar at the council of Jonadab. You want to know who is responsible? Jonadab. You know who did it? Amnon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guilty by association. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 23. Now notice this thing. It says, him... Comma, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, 
and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now this is Peter, and he's preaching a, he's preaching a whale of a message where 3,000 people eventually get saved. And he's preaching to the Jews. So the Jews are held accountable, although the Romans are the very ones that did it. And the ones that put the Romans up to doing it uh, are the ones that God holds accountable. And you got to remember that Jesus Christ told you this, and he was persecuted by those of his own household. Matthew 10, 36. He was persecuted by his own brethren. He went into his own, and his own received him not. And the Jews, his own brethren, his own countrymen, persecuted him. And you know what? Paul was persecuted the same way. What was it? The book of Colossians or Ephesians ends, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you what. You live right. You fly straight, as they say. <laughs> and you do what God wants you to do. And you give the gospel out the way the Lord tells you to. You're going to get problems. You're going to get trouble. Now listen, everything that you encounter this week is not because you're living such a holy life. And take it easy a little bit, amen? I, I don't think you should get hyper on the thing. And, you know, every time you stub your toe in the middle of the night, it's because you gave someone a track, you know, and the devil hates you and all that stuff. And, you know, you get in a wreck or something, and, you know, you're just, you know, you're just, you're, your dress standards are just so wonderful, and the devil's upset at you. No, I'm not talking about that. But you live right and do right, then you'll have trouble, and it'll come through the brethren. You've got to learn that. Uh, the, stop and think about the, the day that some of you got saved. Uh, you started going to church and you never thought that the brethren would treat each other the way they do in a church house. You never thought there could be, uh, you know, church splits or fist fights in the parking lot or, or whatever went on. You just thought everyone was an angelic being, you know. You know why? Because the Christian life is one of the most bloodiest battles you'll ever fight. You probably get less unscathed. You sign up in the military and go across the sea. But the Christian life is a bloody battle. And now the same thing with Stephen. And uh, Jesus Christ told you this. Paul was persecuted the same way. Uh, Stephen was given a hard time. Think about it. Stephen died preaching to the Jews. Look at Acts chapter 7. And uh, Stephen didn't hold anything back. This idea that Christianity today, you got to get up and sweet talk everyone into doing right. I understand there's a fine line about how you should pastor. But when you're preaching truth, you shouldn't candy coat it. You should not sugarcoat truth. You have to speak the truth in love. There is a balance. But when you're preaching against sin, you best not hold back. When you're giving the gospel of Jesus Christ, you just don't give them Jesus Christ. You give them what happens if they don't receive Jesus Christ. This whole uh, you know, shenanigan about smile, Jesus loves you, and never tell them about hell, shame on you if you do that. Yeah, Jesus loves you, and the love of Christ is given to you at Calvary. God so loved the world that, what did he do? He killed his only begotten son. He gave him up as an offering. His soul was an offering in hell. What? For you. And if you don't take his soul, his offering, guess what? You get to go there. That's why the nicer you are to some of your neighbors and the less you witness to them, the more you're making them feel comfortable about going to hell. Now look at Acts 7.52. The Bible says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? <laughs> you know, he's a nice preacher. You know, kind of Joel Osteen type there. And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one. Look at this. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. You say, well, what happened? They took him out back and stoned him. He became the first martyr of the New Testament. 
So you got to remember, you got to remember, and I know I'm going over and over, but I couldn't warn you enough and help admonish you enough that a man's foes will be those of his own household if you live for Jesus Christ, if you practice what you preach, if you want power in your Christian life, those foes will be of your own household. And it could be your familial household, but it will definitely be your spiritual household. Stephen was persecuted. Paul was persecuted in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 15. The Thessalonians were persecuted. And if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, just like they killed the Lord, just like they persecuted and finally chopped up Paul's head, just like they stoned Stephen, just like they were getting in the neck of the Thessalonian church there, you're going to have trouble. And it's going to be your own household. And if you don't stand for Christ, well, the devil lets you live a pretty good life. You see the contrast? If you don't live for Jesus Christ, the devil will give you a crown down here. See the difference? You can either get your crown at the judgment seat of Christ, or you can go ahead and just compromise and live for yourself. The devil will give you a good time down here. I've said this before, and... and uh, the reason a lot of Christians don't have much trouble in their Christian life is because I personally don't believe they're kicking much dust up for the Lord. Now look at verse 16. <clears throat> now this is a great passage here, and it's a great book. Look at it says here in verse 16, Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. That's what the Jews were doing. They are messing with Paul's message so the Gentiles couldn't get saved. Now, that's about as wicked. You know what Paul said that the Jews were? They are enemies for the gospel's sake. But yet, in the same verse, you read that they're beloved for the Father's sake. That's almost like it's hard to understand the paradox. And uh, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Basically, what Paul's saying here is what we just said, the Jews could care less if every Gentile went to hell. That's basically what Paul's saying there. And uh, those Jews were trying to stand in the way, and the Jews were trying to prevent anything Paul and his ministry was doing from going in that direction. Everywhere Paul went, he met resistance from the Jews. And as soon as, uh, as, soon as there was some type of revival, man, there was persecution. And every time someone started getting saved, man, there was imprisonment. There was beatings. And there was riots, and there was up, you know, upheavals. All throughout the book, book of Acts actually goes really quick. It's a great book to read, and it tells you about the early church there. And a very important thing, not only do you see that, but what you need to see in verse 16 is that in many of the new perversions of the Bible, and that's what I call them because they pervert the words of the living God, they add to or take out or diminish aught thereof, especially the amplified version, they specifically add to the end of verse 16. And, of course, the Amplified Version was, uh, was recommended by Pensacola Christian College in 1993, 94, 95, 96, and sold on their bookshelves. But uh, what the uh, Amplified Version does is it adds to the end of verse 16. And I'll read it for you. Which you were told not to add to the Word of God. And this is how it specifically reads. You can look at your verse, and I'll read the one that I got off of BibleGateway.com. He says, Forbidding us from speaking to the Gentiles, non-Jews, so that they may be saved. So, as always, they fill up to the brim the measure of their sins allotted to them by God. But God's wrath has come upon them at last completely and forever. 
And the Amplified Version adds those words completely and forever. By the way, the ESV does also in the footnotes. The Living Bible does as well in the footnotes. The Revised Standard Version does in the footnotes. And on and on and on the list goes. Uh, about that Amplified Version, it was put out by the Lockman Foundation. Now, the Lockman Foundation, they're a bunch of Bible rejectors uh, ad nauseum there. Lockman Foundation, and they uh, were responsible for producing the New American Standard Bible. But you want to watch out for that. Lockman. Lockman. You open up a Bible produced by the Lockman Foundation, I wouldn't trust them with a dead horse. And uh, they, uh, that same outfit right there, the Lockman Foundation, they added the word deaconess to Romans 16.1, which is found in no Greek manuscript anywhere. That's the group we're talking about. What do they do? They add to the Word of God. You say, what are you giving that for? Because there's an attack on your Bible. He said, I didn't know there was an attack on the Bible. Well, there is. If there wasn't, why would they mess with it? And what happens here in 1 Thessalonians 2.16 is that the amplified perversion is in fact, and this is where it comes in, it is a post-millennial text. And the plot thickens. Millennial. Post-millennial text. What we are, we believe in the premillennial, uh, pre, pre, we are premillennial in our beliefs. Amen? Uh, that means that Jesus Christ comes back at, uh, before the tribulation, and then he comes back to this earth before the millennial reign begins. But this shows you that they're uh, postmillennial in their teachings. And uh, it's a Roman Catholic text. It's also a Presbyterian text, a Methodist text, and whoever else believes in postmillennials. Now, this is the conflict. They add completely and forever onto verse 16 to try to say that God is through with the Jews. I'll say it again. The reason they add completely and forever onto the back end of verse 16 is to show you that they believe God is done with the Jews. So now, so what's the big deal about that? So now they can claim the promises that were given to Israel and they get to claim them for themselves. That's what's going on which is absolute blasphemy, and I'll show you why. Look at Romans 11. Listen, every time someone messes with your Bible, there is a doctrinal reason for it. That's why God said, leave it alone three different times in your Bible. Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs chapter 30, and Revelation verse chapter 22. But here in Romans chapter 11, look what the Bible says. 25. Paul says, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. All right, so someone's obviously ignorant of the mystery of God here. Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, what's the next two words? In part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved at the end of the tribulation, is what he's talking about. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, that's the Jewish people, whom I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. All right, and so what happens here in verse 16 is they add that completely and forever on. Violating Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Because they are post-millennial in their beliefs, 
Lachman Foundation, and they teach that God is done with the Jews. All right, so, so what, preacher? Who cares what they think? All right, this is, I want to show you what this produces. It produces individuals like Bill Gothard and the basic youth conflict. You say, what's that? Huh? If you haven't heard of Bill Gothard, you're a blessed man. But what they do is they tell you to use the Amplified Bible because it gives you a better translation. Now, here's what these guys believe and teach all over this country. And they are right under your nose, and you don't even know it. And have you about 20 kids like the Duggars. Amen. You say, why? I'm going to tell you why. Because this fellow believes you should keep having children and keep having children and keep having children. Sounds a little hung up, don't you think? Don't you think that the fruit of the room belongs to the business of mom and dad and not some fella from a pulpit? Now, isn't that a little bit weird? Some guy get up there and tell you you should have so many kids and you should keep having kids, and you know what he tells you to do with your kids then? He tells you to go ahead and get involved in local government so you can eventually get to a place where you can overtake the wickedness of the world and bring in the kingdom. Let me tell you what, you're not bringing in the kingdom. The church is going, and then the kingdom is coming, and you ain't going to bring it in. What is that? That's post-millennial heresy. That's someone who doesn't know how to read fourth grade English teaching millions of people to go ahead and keep having kids and put them into politics and put them into government. And, you know, we can beat this thing. And so you see that thing all over social media, Flakebook and Twitter and Tweeter and whoever else is going on there about how eventually this nation can... You're not going to overtake nothing. The devil's in charge of this, this sideshow, man. You might have a reprieve every now and then in gas prices, but that's it. You say all that from what? Adding on two words of verse 16 completely and forever. That's not what the King James Bible says. Which uh, I need to show you is God is not done with Israel. And that's what Romans 11:25 to 29 tells you. But look on uh, Isaiah chapter 40. It's important that you understand that God is not done with Israel. You say, why? Let me tell you what. Those are his people. He chose them, and there's multitudes of scriptures saying that and showing that. All you have to do is read your Bible one time through, and you see all the places God tells you he's their, their chosen people, they're his people. You don't mess with God's people. But look at this thing in Isaiah 40, verse 2, or verse 1, rather. He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, crying to her, that her warfare is accomplished. That her iniquity is pardoned. You know where that's at? That's in the tribulation. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Does it sound like the Lord's done with Israel? Sure doesn't. How about Jeremiah 50? I'll just give you a couple. There are, there, this book is loaded with this stuff. And you find out these guys that are trying to create movements and, you know, always going off about the fruit of the womb and the fruit of the womb. They're just a bunch of perverts is what they are. I wouldn't take any counsel from them and save my life. Jeremiah 15, 19 to 20. Now look at it. It says, Jeremiah 15, 19, And I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Ephraim and Gilead. Verse 20, in those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. You see that? It's gone. Why? He pardoned her. You know how many times the Lord has taken care of Israel and forgiven them? How about on the cross? 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did he do? He forgave them as a nation. You see that? He says, for I will pardon them, verse 20, them whom I reserve. Talking about his people. Look at another one, Jeremiah 31, 31, 35. The Lord is not done with Israel. By adding those two words on, completely and forever, the Lachman Foundation, a perverter of the Holy Scripture, teaches post-millennial heresy, and all these other groups have sprung up from that thing right there. 31, 35. And that's where that thinking is all over this country. It's all over, uh, what do you call it, contemporary music, that we're bringing in a kingdom. We're bringing it. You're not bringing in a kingdom. The church is going. The kingdom is coming. All right, Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the seas when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. 36. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Ain't that something? So then you got Stephen Anderson, the uh, lunatic heretic out there in Tempe, Arizona, saying the Holocaust never happened and the nation of Israel's done. Well, he don't know how to read fourth grade English. If those ordinances depart from me, verse 36, saith the Lord, then said the, uh, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. How about 37? Uh, the Lord takes you up. He says, I'll raise you five. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. And all these verses, we're not going to turn anymore. They say the Lord is not done with Israel, his people. And you can't take those promises, and that's why people do that, and that's why, because they want the physical promises, they want the physical blessings, it's like this. The Lord blessed Israel, his people, physically, and you and I, as spiritual Jews, we're blessed spiritually, not physically. And all these groups, the Catholics and all the rest of them clowns, what they do is they want the Jewish physical blessing. So they take on a post-millennial stance, and they accept the Lachman Foundation completely forever on the back end, verse 16. And all that stuff is, that's reform theology. That's covenant theology. That's Roman Catholicism. But the Lord is not done with Israel yet. You know, you really need to be careful with your application of these Old Testament passages. Stop and think about in World War II when Hitler was gassing the Jews and burning them up and the Lord was punishing his people and he was very vicious about it and it's, prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, amen, about how he was going to put his people in the furnace of iron. And he's doing that thing. You know what Hitler did? He made the mistake of getting carried away. And he started being, he started being unreasonable, those Jews. And the next thing you know, Germany's done, never been a third world power since. You take that thing back to Egypt, same thing. Exodus chapter 1 all the way through. Uh, they're coming out of Egypt in chapter 12 and 13. Egypt's never been a world superpower since. You go back to England. England started messing around in 1918 with the Balfour Declaration, with the reneging of that Balfour Declaration, and finally in the uh, late 30s and 40s there with uh, Winston Churchill going back. And next thing you know, London's, uh, London's in ashes. You see what I mean? You don't mess with God's people. And it's not completely and forever. Uh, I wouldn't be adding to their persecution because, frankly, you ought to let the Lord see fit to that. And I wouldn't be picking on that Jew for nothing. They're God's chosen people. 
And anyone that writes that stuff out of the Bible and tries to say that God's done with the Jew is going to be standing against God. You say, that's real. it is an issue. I had a fellow saved here back in 2015, right around Easter Sunday, and within six weeks, Reformed theology was knocking at his door, trying to get the promises to Israel on the church. And what you have to realize, if you, the historical content of that, is that, uh, is that comes from a Catholic text where long ago the Catholics were part of persecuting that Jew viciously, and they used to call the Jews Christ killers. Well, as time moved on, history was not very nice to the Catholic Church, and it became unpopular. So what they did is they changed the word of God to say the Lord was finished with them, and he was all done with them so they could then claim their promises. That's how the thing works. So if you stand on the changing of that verse, then you're standing on a Roman Catholic text. But God will never be done with that Jew, and God's even out into eternity. He's dealing with that Jew. All the way into the millennial kingdom and eternity, that Jew is ruling with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Very important verse. You need to understand where all that stuff comes from. You need to understand, most importantly, God's not done with Israel, that Jew. And the people that change that passage, what they desire are the physical blessings that were given to that Jew. But 1 Thessalonians 2.17, the Bible says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. So pretty self-explanatory verse. Uh, Paul and them had to leave. They didn't want to leave, but they, their heart was still with them. You still kind of talk that way, you know. You know, I got left you in my heart and all that stuff. But look at verse 18. Here's a great passage of Scripture we can learn a lot from. He says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Now we can expect a hindering. You say, why? Well, the first, Thessalon- uh, the first, yeah, the first Thessalonians, <laughs> the Thessalonians are a spiritual church. They're living for the Lord, right? They're witnessing to people. Everywhere they go, they're sounding out. They're sounding forth the word of the Lord. People are getting saved. You see the suffering take place. Why do you think the Lord, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why do you think that the devil wouldn't want Paul to go back there and strengthen those saints? So you see in this verse here, in verse 18, but Satan hindered us. And you know, the devil, he does a lot of things. He does a lot of things. I want to give you a few things the devil does here real quick. Look, if you're saved, he can't get your soul. But he sure can hinder you, can he? He can't stop you from going to heaven, but he sure can hinder you from being a good testimony where you work. He can hinder you from being a Bible believer. He sure can. Why? By doubting the Word of God. And Satan hinders. Uh, he, he, uh, he hindered us, it says. And uh, if he can't stop you, he'll do everything in his power to hinder you. Uh, not only, he's a hinderer. A hinderer. Say that word ten times fast. Uh, you know what also he is? Well, what does 1 Peter 5, 8 says? <clears throat> he's your adversary. He's your adversary. You ever just stop some days after some of the things you go through and say, do I really know what's going on in my life? Uh, you, you think the, the boss is mad at you, right? Your boss is a Christian. And it says, the boss isn't mad at you. 1 Peter 5, 8. But that devil's your adversary. Some Christian thinks, you know, the devil is just a big old pussycat. No, he'll tear your head off. 
and an adversary is someone that is trying to stop you or someone who is able to stop you. And like we said, the devil can't stop you from going to heaven, but he'll do everything to hinder you along the way. How about this one? uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. What that devil does is he accuses you. Is that right, spell checkers? Accusers. I don't know. It looks like there should be a red scriggly line under it in word, you know. Uh, Acute. Yeah, that is right. Okay, Revelation 12.10. The Bible says he's the accuser of our brethren. You ever stop and wonder if you're doing the devil's job sometime? You ever get in someone else's grill as a Christian? Sorry for the colloquialism. You ever get in someone's stuff and start giving the riot act for what you think they should be doing? You know what you're doing? You're doing the devil's job. Well, it's true. Well, the, yeah, you, there's a lot of things that are true. There's a lot of true things about you that we wouldn't want to go into detail either. But the devil is the accuser of our brethren. We shouldn't be accusing our brethren, right? Not only that, but two verses later, you know what, he's, you know what he is? He's the deceiver. You ever stop and think of how, uh, how, how many times you're deceived during the week? And that's just the way the devil works. Uh, take a look at Ephesians 6.12 just for a second. Ephesians 6.12, the devil, the devil has a lot of jobs he does, and he does them real well. And a lot of jobs, like the accusing part, he just uh, subcontracts those to, to carnal Christians, amen? And he says, look, you do this, and I'll give you a crown down here. But look at Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this is important for you to be able to grasp a hold of and maybe try to process things during the week sometimes instead of uh, losing it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 6.12, you know the verse, I don't have to tell. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? (laughs) But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what happens over a period of time, you see where you're hindered, you see who your adversary is, you see you're getting accused, you're being deceived, right? And you're blaming the brethren for it. But you know what it is? It's the devil. It ain't the brethren. They might be a good subcontractor for the devil, but it's not flesh and blood. You're not to wrestle with flesh and blood. And you start getting familiar with how the devil works. Now, some of you have been around a long time. Have you not noticed a familiar spirit amongst different individuals? And when you get done with that altercation, you've been like, Man, there's something really familiar about that altercation there with that individual. And that, what is it? It's the devil working through somebody. It's the same spirit. So as you grow in the Lord and you have to go through some things, you begin to see how the devil works and what it'll do. It'll help you understand when you see this stuff pop up in church. It should help you understand when you see this stuff pop up in your home and at your workplace and among other believers. You will know the work of the devil when you see it. See, it's quiet because some of you are thinking about this week already. (laughs) The devil's been working some of you all over, but he's just doing it through other people. And you think it's brother so-and-so or it's sister so-and-so, and it's just the devil. And now look, you don't get familiar with the devil. You just get familiar with how he works, and he's an accuser. So the next time you start grilling into someone, ungraciously, the devil's going, thank you very much, appreciate that, he did my work for me. All right, not only that, but you know what the devil's called in Matthew 4, 3? He's a tempter. 
The devil's a tempter. The devil's really good at tempting you. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Not only is he a tempter, but uh, then he, uh, he's really good at wearing out the saints. That's Daniel 7.25. You ever get to the end of the week and you just slap war out? I'm not talking about because you over-caffeinated and you over-committed and underperformed. But you ever just been worn out spiritually? You're like, you ain't caught a break all week? And you think everyone's against you? That's the devil. He's wearing out the saints. That's the devil's job. Daniel 7.25. I'm telling you, Christian, the devil's the one responsible for half the stuff going on. And not only that, but in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 15, the devil's a thief. He's a thief. Uh, Mark 4.15. You say, what is he stealing? Well, uh, precisely in... Uh, Mark 4.15, what the devil does is when the word of God is preached, the devil comes up and takes away the word before it gets into the hearts of the hearer. The devil wants you to learn, do you think the devil wants you to learn about the Bible? Do you think the devil really wants you to learn about where people correct the word of God? You ever wonder why some, sometimes you really don't want to receive some of that stuff? He's a thief. He's trying to get it out of your heart before it lands and produces fruit. That's Mark chapter 4, verse 15. All right, not only is he a thief, but in John chapter 8, verse 44, he's a liar. He's a liar. Well, that's a powerful verse, John chapter 8, 44. <laughs> the religious group of Jesus' day is sitting there accusing him of being born of no fathers. He says, we be not born of fornication, those religious screwballs say to the Lord. And the Lord says, he says, you are of your father the devil, and the less your father you will do. He was a liar from the beginning. He's a liar. He'll get you to believe a lie too. And he's the most effective liar there has ever been. And uh, believe it or not, I say that respectfully. You say, why? I don't want to mess with the devil. I'm no match for the devil. Do you ever stop and think that Adam, in his perfectness, it was created in God's image, he was no match for the devil? Think about David, a man after God's own heart, right? Supernatural power could bend a bow of steel with his own arms. He was no match for the devil. Daniel, uh, the devil is wiser than Daniel, the Bible says. And uh, the, the devil was no match for, Daniel was no match for the devil. He ended up letting that king bow down to him. I mean, you and I are no match for the devil. He's seeking to devour us. And uh, look at Jude 1. Uh, there's only one chapter in Jude. I'll show you one example of this. Now, in your Bible, Michael is the archangel. Michael's the archangel. And you read over there in the book of Kings somewhere where one angel wipes out, one angel wipes out 185,000. Now, just humor me. That's a pretty powerful angel, isn't it? 185,000. I don't think there's 185,000 people in northern Michigan, for crying out loud. But maybe there is, but maybe there ain't. But 185,000 people, one angel the Lord turned loose and killed that man, I believe it was Syrians. But Jude uh, 1, nine, Bible says, Yet Michael, the archangel, like he's the, the head dog, him and Gabriel, right? Uh, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said... The Lord rebuke thee. 
I'm not like these crazy charismatics that say, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll stomp the devil and I'll chase the devil with a squirt gun and all this, this crazy stuff they say about, I'm going to rebuke the devil and I'm going to tell, you ain't going to tell the devil nothing. The devil's going to get you is what he's going to do. You better watch what you say about the devil. And you see, next to Jesus Christ and God the Father, the devil is the most powerful being in the universe. And I don't want to mess with him. I have no desire to mess with him. Matter of fact, you start bad-mouthing the devil, I'm leaving your presence. (laughs) And furthermore, I don't want to give cause or the reason for the devil to come mess with me either. Is that what you want? You better be careful when it comes to the devil. You and I are no match for the devil. You ever stop and think that there's, what, 6,000? If if, 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 uh, recorded history started at 4,000 B.C. or whenever Usher or whoever Adams puts it at, and it's now 2022, if the calendar is right, uh, perchance there's uh, 6,023 years, and we know there's a difference of Julian calendar versus the Gregorian calendar and all that stuff, but there's 6,000 years of recorded history, and the devil's been around ever since, and he's been, he's been experienced for 6,000 years messing up man. You think you and I are really uh, going to give the devil a hard time? No. <laughs> and uh, furthermore, I don't want to give him a chance to mess with me. And the reason the devil is the most effective liar is because he'll mix truth with a lie. And uh, we covered this the other night, but take a look real quick at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. You've got to remember, he is the most effective liar out there. He mixes truth with a lie. You know, it carries Bible believers off into uh, different groups and hyper groups and uh, different uh, weird groups and just nutty groups, uh, just getting carried off with a little bit of lie, a little bit of truth. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, you know we're out right in the Garden of Eden with the serpent and the woman there. The Bible says in verse 4, chapter 3, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your, uh, sh- then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, small g, knowing good and evil. You know what that devil did? He lied. But you know what he did? He told the truth. He said, make up your mind. He did both. <laughs> he gave Eve a half-truth because they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And here's the thing. The spiritual death at that point became worse than the physical death. And, uh, but the devil's a worker, and he stays busy all the time. How about this? You ever stop and think how good the devil is? You know what he'll do? Not only will he hinder you, he's your adversary. He'll use someone else to accuse you. He'll deceive you. He'll tempt you. He'll wear you out. He'll steal the book from you. He'll steal time. He'll steal purity from you. He'll lie to you and all that stuff. But you know what he'll do? He's so, he's so clever. He'll get you to do the right thing at the wrong time. That's the devil. You say, how so? Well, you're all here, so I'll use this example. Uh, Let's say it's time for midweek service. It'd be about time to go to service, and you know what you'll do? This is just an example. Uh, Some Christians will stay home and say, well, I really need to read my Bible. Is reading the Bible a good thing? Sure it is. It's a great thing. You think the Lord wants you to stay home and read the Bible or come to church? Why don't you come to church? Amen. See, he knew that. (laughs) Pretty smart kid. (laughs) But the devil gets you mixed up in all that. He mixes truth with a lie all the time. And that's one of those things you have to be so careful today because the devil is so deceptive. And he deceives our own heart. And that's why you can't trust your heart. And the devil's good at being able to do those things. And a lot of people love to latch on to half of the truth they have and bypass the other part. 
All right, we're just about done here. Two nineteen, two nineteen. Paul says, "For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is coming." All right, so what you see here is a part of the people's rejoicing is seeing those people that they led to Jesus Christ in heaven. And that is uh, what we call the crown of rejoicing. Crown of rejoicing. And as you know, that's the soul winner's crown. That's a crown of rejoicing. Now, every book in the New Testament, basically we go through, we go through these things. But that's called the crown of rejoicing. A soul winner's crown. And every Christian should be actively winning souls with Jesus Christ. Amen? Should be actively attempting, praying. If you're not... Uh, trying to win someone to Jesus Christ, you ought to be praying about the salvation of someone's soul because everyone in here knows someone that's lost. And we don't do all we should on this, but we should do more. And every Christian ought to win souls. And uh, I teach it this way. The stones that are in your crown will represent the souls that were saved that you won to the Lord while you're down here on the earth. You say, why? Well, if you study that thing in the Bible, stones and gems... Uh, pearls and lively stones, they're likened unto people. They're likened unto people in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, stuck right in the middle of the Old Testament. The Bible says, uh, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. You know what you ought to do? You ought to try to win souls. You ought to try to tell people about Jesus Christ and sit down with them one-on-one if you can. And some folks are great soul winners. I don't, I've never been a great soul winner. I've always been real good at uh, getting all nervous and having a great opportunity and go, oh, yeah, just mouth dries up and don't have the right words and spit all over the place and say something absolutely stupid. And the fact that the Lord used me to win anyone to Christ is a miracle. Uh, he says this in verse 20, For ye are glory and joy. So here's a practical thing. You want some joy in the Christian life? Go win someone to Jesus Christ. Man, that's the greatest feeling this side of eternity. It really is. Uh, you get excited. You get, the, you get the warm fuzzies. You get the chicken skin. And then you got tears. And no one, no one can completely understand that thing. But you just, uh, the Lord allowed you and gave you a little bit of credit for helping birth that person into the kingdom of God. And we'll stop right there for ye are our glory and joy.